I'd like to give you an assignment for this coming week. It's going to require you to uh, take a pencil or some, or a pen and maybe use your bulletin or somewhere else to write. We're going to go over five or six scriptures today that I want you to write down. We'll read them, uh, but I want you to go and expand on them in your study. At some point in the next five days for a personal Bible study for you, I want you to acquaint yourself with this topic that we're going to talk about today. We're going to have you in the Old Testament. We're going to have you in the New Testament. And the idea is we are walking over the next several weeks towards Easter and is to prepare our hearts and to prepare us to better celebrate the empty tomb and what we have because of that empty tomb. Right now, I'd like you to turn in your Bible to Isaiah 59. If you don't have a Bible, please use one of those pew Bibles that's in front of you. And uh, we're going to be in Isaiah, Genesis, Leviticus, Matthew, Romans, and Hebrews today. And... uh, So I'm going to ask you to write down those references. The first one to write down is Isaiah 59, verses 1 and 2. It's likely that many of you have had the same experience that I've had of giving a hug or embrace when I'm leaving someone in my family that we don't live in the same area. And having the thought go through my mind, I wonder if this might be the last time I ever get to look them in the eye. I wonder if this might be the last hug that I'm ever able to give my mom or my dad or whoever the person might be, because you're getting ready to part ways. Yesterday, I went downstairs early in the morning, and I just turned on the news to get an update of what's going on with the war with Russia and Ukraine. And um, within minutes, my heart was drawn to what I was seeing. They had the cameras on these families, thousands upon thousands of people that are loading onto trains that are being given a ride to a neighboring country somewhere outside. And it is mostly women and children that are getting on those trains. And the men, the husbands and the dads, they're staying behind to fight for their homes and for their cities. And I held it together while I watched these couples, one couple kissing through a fence, you know, kissing goodbye. And uh, then uh, when there was a child leaving the dad, and they hugged, and the child got on the train and put its hands up against the glass, and the dad put its hands against the glass, I lost it. We are, as human beings, able to go through a lot, a lot of pain, a lot of struggles. Life is pain, someone once said. But one of the things that help us, helps us get through that pain is going through it with somebody else. And when the person that we love the most or a person we're very close with is taken from us, and we have to go through that kind of a trial, and so many of them are facing something that we, most of us, could not even imagine today and maybe even kissed their child, hugged their wife goodbye for the last time. The separation between a holy God And a sinful man is devastating and will cause God to go to incredible lengths to pay a high price for the union to be restored. There's a separation because of sin. And that's what we're going to look at today. What we'll see in God's Word today is that the cross was the monumental event that removed separation between a holy God and sinful man. 
I hope you're taking this assignment seriously. Write down Isaiah chapter 59, verses 1 and 2. I'll read 1 and 2, because this explains it even better than I can. Behold, the Lord's hand has not shortened that it cannot save, or his ear dull that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you. And so we find division. And if we see division between God and man, our mind must go to the idea that there must have been a time when there was not division. And that's true. The next reference I want you to write down and where I'll ask you to turn is to Genesis chapter 3. When we look at Genesis chapter 3, we're going to find a time when separation was attempted by man to God. It's a familiar story to us, but uh, we don't oftentimes uh, think of it in maybe this specific way of separation. Let me give you some background. I'm only going to read a couple verses toward the end of Genesis 3. But here's the background on it. God has made man. God has told man uh, what they can do and what they cannot do. It's one tree they could not eat of. And Adam and Eve chose to sin. And sin entered into the world at that point. And then once that happened, they heard God coming, the Bible says. This is all in the first parts of Genesis 3. They heard him coming. And then we're told what they did. The Bible says that they hid from God. I think this is the first time that we see an attempt at a separation between God and man. And it was Adam's feeble attempt to hide from God once he had sinned. And as God came near, we find the, I think it's the first question that God ever asked man. And the question is, where are you? Where are you, he asked. Now, for you students of the Bible, does God ever ask a question because he does not have the answer? No. God only asks questions for the benefit of the person hearing the question. So Adam took a shot at dividing himself because of the sin that was there, and it did not work. But now God is going to make that division much more permanent. Look at verses 23 and 24 of Genesis 3. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man, and at the east of the garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. If there is a division between God and man, there must have been a time when there was not. And I imagine maybe we can find out more about that someday, how beautiful it was. But here we see the first divide between God and man. Adam and Eve are cast out of the garden, and the division is in place. Sin has come into the entire human race because of one man's sin. All men are, and women are sinners. But what was the punishment there? They were, they were cast out of the garden, and even a cherubim put there to guard it. Was, was there death in this situation? Don't answer too quickly. 
Because contrary to the kid pictures that we get of Adam and Eve in the garden and being clothed with loincloths or some kind of fig leaves, that's not what we see here. In fact, in verse 21 that we did not read, that's why I'm giving you homework. In verse 21, we see some bloodshed. We find an animal that once was breathing and then its breath was taken away. And I believe that just as we observe communion, and the Bible says without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins, God was going to bring Jesus Christ someday. But I think even in the Garden of Eden, the bloodshed started. And the very first physical death was an animal. And verse 21 of Genesis 3 says, they were clothed with the skins of the animal. And so there was bloodshed. And now from the sacrifice for just a couple of people to sacrifices for millions of people. Here's the next uh, text for you to write down. Leviticus chapter 1. Please turn to Leviticus 1 with me. We're going to talk about sacrifice. And what we find here is the first opportunity... To, for man to regularly and tangibly offer something to God. It's nice when we can do something tangibly. I mean, put our hands on something and do it. Recently, I've been praying for someone that I'm close to and been praying for a long time for them. And then just recently, they said, would you do this to help me? And there's power in prayer. I believe that. And we need to be praying. But it feels so good sometimes just to, to do something to get busy, keep your hands or your feet busy with doing something that might help. In Leviticus chapter 1, we are going to see that they had the opportunity to regularly offer something to God, and it's a sacrifice. Now, just for a little bit of um, instruction on the sacrifices in the Old Testament, there were two kinds of sacrifices that we commonly see. There were peace sacrifices, Could be an animal, could be um, a grain or a fruit of the ground sacrifice. And those peace sacrifices were for praise and worship. And that's great to bring a, a sacrifice of praise and worship. In addition to peace sacrifices, there were also mandatory sacrifices. A mandatory sacrifice is when uh, someone brings a blood sacrifice for sin. And I'm going to give you just three verses to read about it here. The first three verses of Leviticus 1. The Lord called Moses and to him from the tent of meeting, saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, When any one of you brings an offering to the Lord, you shall bring your offering of livestock from the herd or from the flock. It is, if his offering is a burnt offering from the herd, he shall offer a male without blemish. He shall bring it to the entrance of the tent of meeting that he may be accepted before the Lord." Let's stop there. It said the tent of meeting. It said that he may be accepted before the Lord. Here the tabernacle is introduced. When God's people were in slavery uh, in Egypt, they were miraculously delivered, and God gives them, once they're out wandering in the wilderness, he gives them rules, and he gives them a system of sacrifice. And now they can not only have animals of their own, but they can raise them and they can bring them as a sacrifice to God. They can tangibly do something, a praise offering or a sin offering. In that tent, the the tabernacle we call it, in that tent there was a division. There was a curtain 
And on one side of the curtain was the Holy of Holies. And God's presence would reside there at at the Holy of Holies. And nobody could go in there except for the high priest, and only one time a year could he go in there. But God's presence was represented in that place. And we see that later on the tabernacle will become the temple that Solomon would build. But I want you to remember that tabernacle and specifically that curtain or that veil. And that takes us to our next text. And it's really our main text for the day, Matthew 27. Write down Matthew 27 and then turn to Matthew 27 with me. So we have seen that the first divide between God and man came when Adam, was ca- Adam and Eve were cast out of the garden. We've seen an opportunity for man to offer something regularly to God, and God told him exactly how to do it. And now when we fast forward to the New Testament, we find that the, we find the Lamb of God was sacrificed so that the separation between man and God could be removed. What we're going to find here is a permanent solution. This is what everyone in the Old Testament was looking forward to, and it's what you and I today look back to, the work of Christ on the cross. And I want us to remember that picture of separation, being cast out of of the opportunity to be with God daily for Adam and Eve, that separation that was there in the curtain in the tabernacle. And I want to read verses 45 through 51 of Matthew 27. Now from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama bathachthani, that is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, well, this man is calling Elijah. And one of them at once ran and took a sponge and filled it with sour wine and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink. But the others said, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook and the rocks were split." The veil that divided man from God was torn in two. And history tells us that this specific one was a huge veil. Some say it could have been as thick as four inches thick, possibly 60 feet high. And after, after Jesus Christ did the work that he was going to do, we find it torn right down the middle. In the 1980s and 90s, the state of Washington was in a state of terror because there was a killer on the loose. It's the second worst uh, serial killer that America has ever known. Um, He had a nickname that was the Green River Killer. Some of you might remember him from the news from a long time ago. His name was Gary Ridgway, and he would prey upon women and, and young teen girls, and he would take them and do unspeakable things to them and then kill them. Well, finally, toward the end of the 90s, Gary... Ridgway was caught, and he confessed over 70 victims he killed and tortured, and he was given uh, life in prison 
At the end of his time in court, we find that the, the families of the victims were able to come and to address him. We're familiar with this. Some of you have seen that. And as these families of those that were killed come and as they speak to him one by one with hate and disdain dripping off their tongues, wishing that he would be in the hottest place of hell and letting them know how horrible a person that he was, he sat there and listened to each one of them stone-faced without a response. Until a gentleman with white hair and a white beard stepped up. And here's what he said. He said, all these people here hate you. But I do not hate you because of Jesus Christ. And because Jesus Christ forgave me, I want you to know today that I forgive you. And that's when he cracked. That's when he lost it. He stood there and looked each one of them in the eye or else had his face down and didn't even make an emotional move. But as soon as he had one of the family members of a victim of his say, I forgive you, he lost it. Here's the application for us. Even though that individual came forward and said, I forgive you, there was a judge who was in place And that judge still had the obligation to carry out justice. Punishment for the crime was still required. And for you, if you know Jesus Christ today, this is what is so glorious. Because when you take a deep look inside, you know how often you fail. You understand the things that you don't want to do. Those are the things that you're doing too often. And the things that you want to do so badly, you do not do them. And the broken relationship that is our fault has been solved by God. God pursues the rebels and he tears the veil of separation. Separation is gone. And when that veil was torn into, it would never go up again. Seventy years later, the city of Jerusalem was destroyed. The veil would never go up again. When Christ died and he said, it is finished, the veil was torn and the separation between God and man was gone. But there's still a need for justice. There's still a price that has to be paid. God is a just God, but he would not be a good God if he allowed sin to go without punishment. And that takes us to our next passage, Romans chapter 3. Turn with me to Romans 3 and write that down. We must know when we come to this season of Easter that this was very personal for Jesus Christ. We do not have an obtuse God who is distant and not caring for us, nor do we have a Savior who does not know us. We find in the record of the Bible the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. It was very personal to him because the sheep have names. One of those names is Jeremy. He knows each of the sheep's name. And so in Romans chapter 3, 
We'll start in verse 21. Beautiful, beautiful passage. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. There is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in His divine forbearance, He has passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. And all God's people said, amen. He is just and he is the justifier. And we sit on the receiving end of his love and of this payment. Probably not too many have used the word propitiation in the past few weeks. Probably not. And it's a beautiful word. This word propitiation that we see here gives us the idea of a diversion of wrath. God is just. Sin must be punished. And so the wrath that would come down on sin is coming down and we find a diversion, a propitiation. And instead of coming down on you, it will come down on the Lord Jesus Christ in His work on the cross. God counts you as clean. And as we approach the cross... On that cross, Jesus is counted as a liar. And on that cross, Christ is counted as a thief. Christ is counted as a gossip. And he's counted as a murderer. And the full wrath of God would come down. And so many of us, praise God today, will not be on the receiving end of his wrath because it was poured out on the Son. And no other religion or system has anything close to this where it tells you you are hopeless, you are a sinner, you are miserable, but you're accepted because God took that punishment. He gave it to Jesus Christ, his son. And we have an unshakable confidence. This is the the takeaway. We have an unshakable confidence because I am a sinner And my punishment was taken by someone else. The Father's wrath poured out on the Son. Justice has been done. And so I stand as one that that just lost my temper not too long ago. And I stand as one that struggles with impatience. And I stand as one that has sinful thoughts. And I stand before a holy God and there is no divide. The veil was torn and it will never go up again. 
And all those who have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ stand on the receiving end, not of His wrath, but of His love and His blessings. And so we sing about a cross because it's not our cross. And we rejoice when we read about a crown of thorns because it's not our crown of thorns. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whosoever, can you lift your hand with me? Whosoever, anyone, anyone out there? Whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. There was a day where man had beautiful fellowship. Sin came into the world. God, from the start, from Genesis chapter 3, actually started to point us to Jesus Christ. And he gave shadows. He gave little pictures of what it would look like of the cross, of what Jesus was going to do. And he's going to do away with that Jewish system and bring something so much better. We read the words of Jesus Christ where he says, my blood is a new covenant. And that's what we celebrate. And so I want to ask you to stand and take your Bible with you and turn to Hebrews 10. We're going to close our time together reading from Hebrews 10. Turn to Hebrews chapter 10. I didn't have you write that one down, so make sure you do write that one down. And I'm going to read out loud and ask you to read silently the first 10 verses of Hebrews 10. Hang on till the end because some people might ask the question, well, How long is this good for? How many people can it cover? Or even can it cover me and my sins? Hebrews chapter 10, starting in verse 1. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, Make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered? Since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins. But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body have you prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings, you have taken no pleasure. And then I said, behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. When he said above, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and and burnt offerings and sin offerings, these are offered according to the law. Then he added, behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ. Say it with me. Once for all. Shall we pray?
Oh, our gracious God, would you move our hearts? Would you allow our love for you and for your Son and for the Holy Spirit to never grow cold, to understand that we once were enemies and you went through an incredible, incredible price to make us once again able to have fellowship with you. And I thank you for my Savior, Jesus Christ. And I thank you that he went to the cross, how wise he was to tell us not to forget this. Would you allow the love that we have to be flamed in our hearts and grow, not spend any time wasted in this world, but do what we can to worship you, to love you, and to tell others of what we've experienced. So we have our heads bowed and eyes closed. I'm going to ask the piano to play through. I want to give you a chance to pray. You are so loved. I know when we say, for God so loved the world, it can, it can feel rather generic. God knows you by name. Thank Him for that. We never like to close a time without giving an invitation for anyone who has not put their faith in Jesus Christ as Savior to do so. It's a simple prayer. The work was all done by Christ on the cross. It's only you accepting that free gift. God, forgive me, a sinner. Make me your child. Thank you that Christ died for my sins. You can pray right now if the Lord is leading.